partnership with AM1490 Sports Betting Radio. Subscribe to the Jacob Media Channel on YouTube for access to all daily sports content. Ah, yes, sir. Welcome back. It's a Monday. Hanging with you here in the Prop Swap studios of AM1490 Sports Betting Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Rothstein, hanging out here with Luke Pergandy, co-founder of Prop Swap. Uh, but we'll focus in now on the T-Shirt and Shorts Hall of Fame with our NFL Eagles insider, Johnny Mack. Follow John on Twitter at jfmcmullen, phillyvoice.com, si.com, and you know the rest, okay? It takes up a whole segment for me to plug everything he does. <laughs> John, what's up? Uh, what's up, Ryan? Yeah, we should get in the Shield, Shield story, Shield Kapati and the athletic guys, Zach Berman and uh, Bo Wolf kind of taking aim at Jeffrey Lurie. Yeah, so what what was that aim all about? Lay the groundwork here for the listeners. Well, uh, you know, we've uh, a lot of it has been out there before, and we've mentioned uh, the micromanaging of, uh, of Jeffrey Lurie and how bad it's gotten. Uh, and those guys got uh, did a wonderful job unearthing uh, a number uh, of different nuggets, mainly what the weekly meetings were about. We all knew that Jeffrey Lurie had weekly meetings with Doug Peterson, and they were overbearing. Um, you know, the confirmation that we've been talking on the show for years that the Eagles wanted to fire Frank Reich. Um, you and I have talked with that on different platforms. Uh, after the 2016 season, they were contemplating firing Doug Peterson. Uh, again, the, the affirmation that Doug was forced to fire Mike Rowe uh, or Carson Walls and Carson Walls, or he was going to be fired. Um, bad stuff. Bad stuff. Makes the owner look awful. Um, yeah, it's not good. How, how do they know all of this? Like, I'm reading through some of your article right now, available on SI.com, uh, and it's basically what you just said, but a direct quote, Peterson was ridicule, ridiculed and criticized for every decision. If you won by three, it wasn't enough. If you lost on a last-second field goal, you're the worst coach in history. <laughs> uh, these are what people in the building are saying uh, about the owner and the general manager, so you can pretty much surmise uh, how they are feeling uh, today. And, and by the way, I, I mean – I bring up Howie Roseman only because he's the lightning rod for all this. And I've been saying this for months. I mean, that's the shiny bobble to distract you from the real problem. Howie Roseman's not the real problem. The real problem is the owner uh, and how overbearing he has gotten since Chip Kelly. And I, I wrote, I mean, it, you know, in hindsight, Chip Kelly broke this guy. Uh, I mean, he refuses. You know, there, there was – one of the most interesting tidbits they got is Jeffrey Lurie. Jeffrey Lurie is the one who kind of put his thumb on the scale when it came to drafting J.J. Uh, Ortega-Whiteside. The, the, the scouts wanted to draft Paris Campbell. Not that it would have worked out, but the point is, the larger point, and, and I also use Carson Wallace because, you know, whether you like Carson Wallace or not, he's a position coach. It, 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 my point is, why is the owner getting involved with second-round picks and in in position coaches? I mean, it's one thing 
look, you have to be involved with the head coach. You have to be involved with the quarterback. Those are those are big time decisions that are face of the franchise decisions, and the owner's got to be involved. That kind of stuff. But the minutia, I, I mean, this guy needs something to do. I, I, you know, he's a Hollywood producer and name only. He needs to find a film and go away. That's how bad it's gotten. People went out of that building. And by people, I mean players. And I'll just leave it at that. I mean, this isn't, this is a big deal, but it's also like, you you detail all of this, and it's nothing new, and it's not even surprising to me. And and that I say that because that's a concern. It, it's just gotten so bad. And you mentioned Chip Kelly, and you know, saying that maybe he broke him, him being Jeffrey Lurie. I, I would say that's absolutely a part of it. But did the Super Bowl really break him? Like winning that Super Bowl could have been the worst thing that could have happened to him personally. Well, I think it was ironic. That's the one thing I was thinking about. You know, before the season, and I'm not going to say, look, I, I, like a lot of people, I thought the Eagles were heading in the right direction. I thought if Carson Wentz took a, a big step forward, uh, they could be a playoff team that year. I wasn't thinking Super Bowl. I don't know how many people were. So I'm not going to criticize Jeffrey Lurie for not thinking that was a Super Bowl team. But while I had that sentiment, in, in, in the background, he's thinking about firing the offensive coordinator and the head coach himself. He had no idea that team was even close to being a playoff team, never mind a Super Bowl team. And I said the latter is not the bigger, bigger issue. But, but somehow, after they did make that run, even though he knows he wanted to fire the, the, the two – perhaps, you know, coach is most responsible, the head coach and the offensive coordinator. He wanted to fire them before the season. And yet somehow after the Super Bowl, he convinced himself he was responsible for the Super Bowl and succeeded despite Doug Peterson. And, you know, by proxy, Frank Reich. It's pretty amazing. I mean, that's that's that that's that's a guy who's not well grounded. Let's say that. Yeah, that's Be nice. A, <laughs> I was just going to say that's a very nice way to put it, John. Uh, all right, so Howie Roseman, <laughs> here we go back to Howie for a second. How do we reshape our thoughts on him? Is he really just a yes man? Does he secretly want to get out of there just as badly as everyone else? Like, how is he? waking up every day, like, excited to go to work. Is he that stupid, or is he that soft, weak, for lack of a better way to put it? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's stupid at all. I, I, I think he's a very good politician. I think he makes a lot of money. He's got a good job, but I don't think he's happy because I, 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 I do think that um, it's wearing on him. Uh, last time we spoke to him via Zoom, obviously, everything is still virtual, but you know, he seemed beaten down. I, I made that, you know, we talked about it on the show. Nick Sirianni was like Eeyore next to the, the jacked-up guy who's excited and the other guy's depressed. And, look, he, he's the guy taking all the hits. He's the guy with anybody who watched Amazon All or Nothing. He's the guy with the darkest tint on his window because people curse at him in public. Um, I... It's 
you know, is he a yes man? Yeah, ultimately he does what Jeffrey Glory tells him to do. Um, and you know, I, I, could he probably go to another organization? Uh, I think he could because of the Super Bowl win, uh, because he's kind of proven himself at least as far as his ability to manipulate things as far as trades and understanding value and that part of the GM job. But I I don't think the job security would be there. He'd be a run-of-the-mill general manager in this league, which means you're hired to be fired. It's really amazing, and now here we are back with Doug Peterson getting fired, um, leaving the organization. It still, to me, John, has not gotten enough play, and I know it's gotten a lot, but Doug Peterson is a great football coach, a great leader of men, Um, and to just turn around and say, nah, we're going to move on with a bunch of randos is crazy. It's absolute insanity. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, it's clear they never um, respected Doug Peterson. Um, It's abundantly clear they never wanted him. You know, we've gone over a lot. You and I have talked about it. I've I've reported many times they wanted Adam Gase and then Ben McAdoo. They didn't want to hire Doug Peterson. He was at best third on their list. Um, He never garnered their respect, which is pretty amazing. Um, when you think about it, um, <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the firing of Mike Rowe and Carson Walls, we've been over that. You know, he, he said they were going to be back. Uh, I, what, what was interesting to me, because this was new to me, most of it wasn't new to me, but this was new to me. I, I, I never heard that they were going to fire Doug um, if he didn't acquiesce to, to – uh, Mike Groh and, and Carson Walsh leaving. Um, I didn't think it got to that point because I think he just said, all right, he's not going to give this up and there's nothing I can do about it. But he was threatened with his job uh, if he didn't go along with it. And I and, and if you think about the timing of that, I, you know, I think it's ludicrous that he got fired three years um after less than three years after the Super Bowl, <laughs> that would have been uh, that would have been you know 2018, uh, and that would have been less than two years after the Super Bowl. I, I I don't even know what to say, and and after consecutive postseason bursts, yeah, so you- three consecutive postseason bursts. You're two years after a Super Bowl, and you're going to fire the head coach? That's what they were prepared to do. I almost wish Doug said no. Fire me. Because I would have loved to have seen the the, the outrage over that, to be honest. You've mentioned how, how much you and I have talked about this over the past year. Um, and I'm going to ask you a question I asked you many times already how did we get here and specifically with Jeffrey Lurie like and I know you said you know Chip Kelly the Super Bowl and there's a lot of factors but I still can't wrap my head around it this is an owner of one of the biggest sports franchises in the world let's just call it what it is and he's acting 
childish, to put it nicely. Like, how did we get here, John? It's crazy. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I don't know how you convince yourself. I, I, You know, and today I compared him to Harold Katz, who's the old Sixers owner. And, you know, if you're old enough to remember Harold Katz, he, he found a Nutrisystem. That's how he made his fortune. Uh, bought the Sixers. He was really, really involved in personnel. He, he, you know, back in those days, obviously, was a different world, and he had the satellite dish, and nobody had satellite dishes, and he would watch basketball, college basketball, and he thought he knew personnel. He thought he, thought he knew everything, and I think that's where we are at Jeffrey Lurie. He thinks he knows personnel. He thinks he knows coaching staff. He thinks he knows better than the experts in football. And then the second part is the analytics part, because a lot of those Tuesday meetings where win or lose, Doug would get just blitzed with criticism, was all about reports from the analytics department. You should have done this. You should have done that. And it's like, if you want to go the baseball route, just go the baseball route. Just hire the joystick. And maybe they did. Maybe that's what Nick Sirianni was brought in here to do. Who knows? Yeah, no, we, we don't know. And I will say this, and I've brought this up to you in the past plenty. I still point to the whole dynamic of Nick Foles and Carson Wentz after winning the Super Bowl that 2018 season, you know, really the off season, heading into that entire season, like changed Jeffrey Lurie and this entire organization. And I, I feel like Jeffrey Lurie at one point was like, you know what, if I'm going to get blasted and if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging and I'm going to go to sleep every night knowing that, you know, I knew everything that was going on and I had a say in everything under my roof. And trust me, I'm not saying that's okay. That's just the only thing I can maybe speculate about. Well, it is okay, number one, because it is his team. And I always drop to that. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. That's not where my criticism is born at. But And, and he would admit, and, and he has admitted, uh, in generally really – successful people are, are good at delegation. In other words, they hire people. You know, they might buy companies, but um, just because you have the wealth to buy a, a, a company doesn't mean you're an expert in that particular industry. And that's basically, I wouldn't say every NFL owner, but certainly most of them. And certainly Jeffrey Lurie, who, you know, obviously inherited a lot of money, was a producer of films. Um, there's not a lot of football in his background <laughs> until he got to Philadelphia. Now, he has spent over a quarter century around football now. I'm sure he has learned immensely. Um, but, you know, I think it's interesting because his his career as an owner mirrors my career in covering this league, uh, basically uh, – the same amount of years, which dates me and proves I'm not as successful as him. But nonetheless, I'm sitting here 25 years in, and I don't have the arrogance to say I know more about personnel than Andy Weidel, but Jeffrey Lurie does. And maybe that's that $3 billion checkbook. <laughs> um, if you're Nick Sirianni, how, how do you – how do you have success? <laughs> like you read this story on top of everything else 
How do you get your mind right to say, okay, this is what I need to do to stay on Lori's good side and to keep this ship moving in the direction everyone wants it to move? Well, I mean, Nick is is in that situation like Doug was in in 2016. It's almost a, a carbon copy. He didn't have other options. Uh, he didn't even have other interviews. It's not like he had other opportunities to be a head coach in this league. Now, you can say have confidence in yourself and understand a better situation will develop uh, down the line, and that's always possible. But there's 32 of these jobs, and generally, if you've got an opportunity at any of them, even if it's considered a bad one, you better take it, and you better do the best you possibly can with it. So, I mean, I think that's where Nick Sirianni is. Um, and as I said, that's completely understandable. Um, and, and there are ways, I mean, Doug was put in the same situation and won a Super Bowl. So that's the goal of Nick Sirianni. But I do think what this tells you is the shelf life is going to be small no matter what, a success or no success, his shelf life here is going to be small, just like Chip Kelly's uh, was, just like Doug Peterson's was. Uh, the way they are running this organization, you're not going to see another Andy Reid unless they change the way they run this organization. And I don't think that's coming. What what does this story, if if at all, John? What does it tell you, uh, in particular, and does it change John McMullen's outlook uh, on this team moving forward? Not even just this season, but for the next five years, let's say. Your your overall finger on on this team's pulse is is what right now? Well, no, it didn't change my view because I was already at that view, but it just cemented my view uh, further. Uh, and, and if anything, I gave Jeffrey a little bit too much credit. I, I didn't think he was quite as overbearing as he was painted out to be today. Um, so it's only, if anything, it's a little bit worse than even I thought it was. And I thought it was pretty bad. Um, so... I, I mean, anybody can wake up one morning and say, you know what, I... I and who knows? Maybe he'll see, because he's getting both barrels, and he's going to continue to get both barrels. And so, at some point, he's going to have to talk to us again. At some point, he's going to have to address all this again. Uh, and maybe he does sort of have a wake-up call. Um, because, again, these are people in his organization speaking out uh, uh, and saying, you know, it's one thing if we say it. It's one thing if I say it on the radio. These are his employees saying, essentially, this guy's out of control. It, does that, is that a wake-up call? Maybe it is. Hopefully it is. I doubt it is, but I guess there's always that potential. Talking with John McMullen, just like we do every night on The Fix, Monday to Friday at 7.30. Follow John at J.F. McMullen. Make sure you're listening to Birds 365 every Monday to Friday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. It's J Mac and J Mac, John McMullen and Jody Mac. Um, John, what about the draft now? Does this just cement once again um, the thought of Jeffrey Laurie is really just going to have the final say in what they're doing here when it's all said and done? 
Uh, yes, it does. So, uh, you know, it's interesting because he likes to use the word collaborative. Uh, and that's how the, they ended the story and the fact that, uh, you know, they always use that term and they always want to portray that everybody's working towards the same goal, uh, even though we never bought that. And there was that one press conference where we did ask, well, who's, who's got the final say? We're, we're expecting to hear Howie. He raised his hand on the side, and everybody kind of chuckled. Um, hey, but he was telling the truth. Uh, and, you know, just hope, cross your fingers, and hope it's not J.J. or something like that. Poor J.J. <laughs> um, so with that being said, what are the chances the Eagles get a quarterback? <laughs> Is it 40% now, not 4%? I say that jokingly, but... No, no, only because I, I I don't think they're in a position to get a quarterback. I, I think, and when I say that, I mean, obviously one of the top-tier quarterbacks, I think they'll draft a quarterback at some points, um, yeah. developmental type, as they typically do every year or so. Um, so I think they'll get, you know, a day three guy, something of that nature. Um, but I, I did, and I wrote about that for Philly Voice today, I mean, it's pretty evident by the way this team, this organization has acted. They don't believe in Jalen Hurts. Nor I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, they shouldn't. There's no reason to. Um, fans who are doing that are just blindly loyal. And that's not an insult to Jalen Hurts. It's just that he's not proven himself. Um, he's only started four games. He's second-round pick. You can't just go into this with a blindfold on and, and cross your fingers and say, I hope he's the guy. So I, I think that is a good decision, but they are actively working to get a quarterback in 2022 already, which tells me they don't think this guy is going to develop into a long-term starter. Um, I, I do think that Jalen has a personality to ignore that. Uh, and and do his best, and will will work to prove them wrong. But I, but I also believe he sure as heck sees it. He sees it. He knows it. He understands it. I do believe that. There's a difference, though, John. When you say they don't believe in Jalen, there's a difference between okay, we're not sitting here and saying he's our future. We know he can be you know, a good NFL starting quarterback for a long time. And the other option is this guy, this guy isn't our guy. We don't really want to give him a chance and we don't really want to support him and wait and see what he does this year. Like there's a difference between staying optimistic and open-minded and just closing the book on him altogether. No, yeah, I, I agree with you, but there are stages for that as well. Um, I, you know, those are like the two ends of the spectrum. So if you say, you know, a hundred percent one way, zero percent the other way, you know, I, I would say their belief in Jalen Hurts would be 20, 25%. In other words, they, they, their contingency plan, um, isn't really a contingency. That's the real plan. The three first round picks, um, the money to go out and get a quarterback in 2022 
and 2021 is sort of the stasis period where they have to put somebody out there. Um, they're going to put Jalen Hurts out there, and that's the opportunity to begin. Anytime you're given that opportunity to be on the field, well, in theory, you can take advantage of it because nobody's going to bench you if you play lights out. And that's where I say he's got a chance and there's some optimism and, and there's his ability to seize that position. But I, I do think it's pretty evident by everything they're doing. You know, the old adage is don't, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. And if you watch what they do, they don't believe in Jalen Hurts. That's my point. So we talked a little bit about this um, last week. Zach Ertz, do you think it's growing more and more that he's actually going to be an Eagle this season? I'm convinced that Zach would rather jump off the Walt Whitman Bridge than be an Eagle this season. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, he's under contract. So, I, I, you know, you have to leave the door open. But I, I know for a fact he doesn't want to play here anymore. Um, and, 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 again, he's not a free agent. They don't have to trade him. Uh, he can't play with anybody else if the Eagles want to play hardball. Um, so there is an opportunity he'll be back. But, I, you know, I don't, he just doesn't want to be here. And I don't think it would be a good situation for anybody. I think the Eagles understand that as well. I think ultimately they'll trade him probably on draft weekend. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he just he just doesn't want to be here. And a lot of it has to do with the way this organization has been run and what we've been talking about. He's one of those players. He's one of those players I can go public with. There's other players I can't go public with that would also like to be out of here, to be honest. Good times. Good times right now up at the NovaCare Complex on uh, on Broad Street. Uh, John McMullen will be talking about it with us every night, Monday to Friday at 7.30. Make sure you follow him at J.F. McMullen, Birds 365, 8 to 10 in the mornings, Monday to Friday, extending the play on Saturdays and Philly Voice and SI.com for his written work. All right, John, we'll do it again tomorrow, man. All right, thank you, guys. Yep, thank you. There he is, Johnny. Mac. All right, we have one minute before we get to a break. Uh, Luke, in 30 seconds or less, your thoughts on the state of the Philadelphia Eagles? <laughs> um, a bleep show? I I have a little inside info. I can't name my sources because Philly media mm -hmm. would blow it up. Um, yeah, I'm, I think generally they're not happy. I think some of the players aren't happy. I think there's a a sense of um, excitement around Jalen. I think some of the leaders on that team, the veteran leaders, are like, we we got something here. We need to we need to nurture him, and it's not perfect yet, but like, right, we, we got something. Yeah. Um, so I think I think they're excited about that. All right. Um, maybe. I hope you're <laughs> right. Uh, do, now that's a different question than do they like their boss. Right. Yes, those exactly. Are, those are two completely different questions. Very true. But you know, it's it's work. Like, who, how many people in this country are obsessed with their boss? Not not many. No, no one. All right, let's get to a quick break. Uh, much more on the other side with Luke and I on the Fuchs.